Edward Sree, and welcome to All Things Catholic, where real faith meets real life. Hi, and welcome to this special edition of All Things Catholic. I am in Israel right now. We're riding on our tour bus. We've been on pilgrimage up north in Galilee, and we're making our way down south uh, alongside the Jordan River on our way to Judea and Jerusalem. And I'm very excited to have with me a special guest, uh, someone who's become a, a good friend over the last few years, and he leads our trips as, as one of our guides, and his name is Adrian Weisberg, who lives here in Tel Aviv, and he's been a wonderful guide, and he has such a passion for leading Christians through the holy sites in Israel, uh, bringing so much of the Jewish history, uh, topography, geography, and Bibli Old Testament biblical background to the to the experience of a Christian encountering Christ and walking in his footsteps on pilgrimage. So, Adrian, thanks for being with us here today. Thank you for. So it's a rainy <laughs> it's a rainy day here. You're going to hear the rain coming down on our bus. Uh, it's, it's, it was quite unusual. I've been doing this pilgrimage for many, many years, and I was just telling everyone that this is the first time I've ever experienced this kind of rain uh, in on, on pilgrimage. So. As we're heading down, I just wanted to let my listeners be able to hear a little bit from a Jewish perspective how that Old Testament background and the Jewish history can really help us understand Jesus and the New Testament better. And I, I was just sharing with the group how we were, we were just in Magdala, and we were there at the first century synagogue where almost certainly Jesus would have been. Uh, and, and it was just very moving for our group to be there. And we wanted to do a reading from Scripture about the times when Jesus would go to the synagogues and he would preach. And what were the things that he would preach? Well, we know from Luke chapter 4, when he was in Nazareth, he would be using the, the, the passages from Isaiah 61. Uh, and that's when he opened up the scroll. He turned to Isaiah 61 and he announces, this is being fulfilled in your midst. And our chaplain, Father Brendan, uh, said, I want to read that passage from Luke, but maybe, Adrian, you, you could read the, the section from, from the Old Testament. And I loved it how you, you didn't, your instinct wasn't to turn to Isaiah 61. You, were, you thought, I'll just go to Luke 4, because it's quoted in Luke 4. That, in other words, you, you had a, <laughs> a Christian lens on the, on, on the Jewish scriptures there. So, But let, just a little bit of background of yourself. So you, you were born in Manchester in the United yeah. Kingdom. and. Mm -hmm. Uh, and when did you come to Israel, and why did you come here to move and to live? came to live here in 1980. I started, uh, I got involved in a Jewish youth group, and uh, we started studying Jewish history beyond what, I mean, in the, in the, in the secular curriculum in the high schools in uh, England, people don't learn anything other than British history, and always being part of a very uh, contained Jewish community, I never felt that was really my history. So we tried to educate our Jewish youth into their own history, and then I came to the conclusion that you know the Romans are long gone. It's time to <laughs> it's time to come home. God gave this country to us. I believe which we int intended us to be here. Otherwise, we would not be here today. Um, and I, I I was in I was I was in business here for 20 years. I had a printing business in Tel Aviv. Before that, I worked as a production engineer, and I decided because I wanted to learn more to go on the course to study to be a tour guide, which is a huge amount of history and geography and obviously studying the three, the, the two religions that began in this country. Uh, and it just, I thought, after the course, when I got through the exams, I thought, well, let, let's give it a go. Let's see what I can do with this. And discovered that I loved doing it. And then somehow ended up working almost exclusively with different types of Christian groups. 
So uh, I just, for me, the same, we call coming back to this country, we don't call it coming back to Israel, we call it going up to the land, going up. Uh, just as we are now on our way to Jerusalem, we could be coming from a higher mountain, but we're going to Jerusalem. It spiritually is going up. Psalms 1, 22, 136, these are Psalms of Ascent. We're going up to Jerusalem. So the same way, I think that pilgrims, when they come here, they're going up to a different spiritual level because rather than imagining you know, the, the, the apostles wandering through the Appalachians on the Appalachian Trail, which is their experience of mountainous country or something like that, or the Rockies, you're coming to this very small country, seeing very different climates in a very short space of time, and you're seeing the landscape in which everything in the gospel takes place. Everything. None of it takes place. We only get into the, into, into the epistles when we, when we get to Greece where Jesus' ministry is entirely in this country. So I think by bringing people here and reading the scriptures and walking in the footpaths of Jesus and the patriarchs, it makes the scriptures come alive for people. And I get a thrill out of seeing that little spark in their face when it's like, oh, that's what that means. Oh, that's what that's about. Oh, this is where they're talking about. It just, I, I enjoy that. That's like a God moment. I see, it, I see them touched and it touches me. What's one of your favorite either biblical passages or sites to unpack for people where you get that lights on experience for a Christian? Ooh, ooh, that's a big one. I would say uh, the southern steps of the Temple Mount, which is referred to as the Davidson Center, the, uh, the archaeological park, because so much is going on there. Um, for the listeners, that's they, they have the remains of the, the southern steps of the actual temple where Jesus would have walked up and uh, Mary and Joseph would have brought the child Jesus when he was a 40-day-old baby. Exactly. This is, you know, you can see the foundations of the temple. You can go right there to where so many events in, in Jesus' life, especially the last week of his life, the turning over the tables, the money changers, and yeah. you get really close to right where all these great events happen. Yeah, I mean, you see the remains of the only entrance gates up to the Temple Mount through these deep vaults, which were available for people who didn't live in Jerusalem. And you just knowing that the right-hand set of gate, one of the right, one of the sets of gates was for people going up, and one of them was for people coming down. So one way or another, you can actually stand on the original stone floor and know that when Joseph and Mary brought the baby Jesus to the temple after after his birth to present him, that those that they had to step on those stones. I mean, it's a big moment. Or think when they when they met uh, Simeon. It could have been right there, or somewhere around there. And when Jesus, in John, the end of John 7 and the beginning of John 8, when he's teaching the, the, uh, the woman, in a, the adulteress, and when he's talking to them about rivers of living water, this takes place on those steps. And I think people don't, they just see the, the, a pile of, a load of stone. But then when you connect the text to where they are, it was very, very impactful. One of the places we're going to get to visit uh, later this week is Bethlehem. Most pilgrims go there, and that's where we're going to head. Uh, what, what would you say from some of the Jewish Old Testament background, the archaeological evidence we have of dwelling places? What, what kind of setting was it in which Jesus was born? You know, in the United States, we have all these little manger scenes. And, it, you know, it look, the manger looks like a nice little cradle for the baby. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and it's in a, a stable. And you've got these animals around in the stable off to the side. But is that, is that actually what you think Luke's gospel is trying to portray for us? <laughs> um, I've got to say that some people, many people say to me that 
they actually prefer the realist, how realistic the the birth scene that I present is based on archaeology and based on early writings, but it does spoil their their sort of dreamy, sentimental. yeah, the sentimental view, view yeah. of you know a beautiful barn on a prairie in Montana <laughs> with a nice wooden manger, which I'd like to see a wooden manger that can hold drinking water for, for, for goats and sheep. Yeah. It doesn't. Everything was... And this word in Hebrew is yibus. It's used often in the scripture. And it means... Manger is manger. It's from the French. It just means eating. It's a feeding trough yes. for the animals that they put straw in or you can put water in. But the fact is that in Judea, which is all limestone hills, there's no real soil except in a few the center of a few valleys, uh, people built their houses over where they could dig caves. They would use those caves to store the water from the six rainy months, or theoretically rainy months, to drink it through the dry months. And one of those underground caves that they would dig would become their storage room, their, their cellar, where they kept all their wine, their oil, their grain, their dried fruit, and all the things that were, that were harvested only once a year, but had to last through the whole year. And there were no inns. There was no Marriott in Bethlehem in, <laughs> one, in, in the year one. It did, there, was no, there wasn't even uh, a Hilton. And there wasn't an inn because the gospel does not mention in the Greek a taverna. The word used is a, there was no room at the kataluma, which means the upper room. So basically... Let's, let's pause was, on that just okay. for a moment, because like most yeah. of our English translations say, you know, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son there in Luke chapter 2, verse 7. You could read it. Gave birth to her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger yeah. because there was no room for at them the, in the, the inn. inn. Now, I love teaching on this in the classroom, but I love hearing from yeah. you from your perspective like why it says that there's no room for for the end what's no. what's what's the background of that key word there okay well the first of all that there, there, there were inns in the in the first century they were on major routes between between cities yep. such as the we know there was one uh, in, down in the valley below Nazareth for people who are on that international highway heading to Syria we know there was one I mean when the Jesus talks about an innkeeper in the parable of the Good Samaritan, it's because there was almost certainly an inn on the road down from Jerusalem to Jericho, but it's on a route. In a town? No way. People, when they came to towns they weren't familiar with, they would either stay with relatives if they didn't have relatives, they would camp, they would carry small tents on their backs wherever they went. They would camp, like the people did on the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem when they came to the three foot festivals. So there's no Marriott, no Hyatt there in Bethlehem in, in Jesus' no. day. But the word kataluma, that's the Greek word Yeah, for the Greek in, word kataluma, and, and, yeah. And we translate it in, in most English editions. Yes. But that's actually too much of a translation, isn't it? Because it's, it's, it doesn't really mean in. What does the word I mean? Think, I actually think that if we source this back to the first English translations of the Bible, which are in the 17th century, if we go back to the culture of 17th century European life, if someone had a, an upper story of a house, they would rent the rooms out to travelers coming to the marketplace because of that almost feudal concept of having market day twice a week and people come from miles to buy and sell their goods. So they needed somewhere to stay. And so if you had a room upstairs, that was your effectively the inn. <laughs> uh, just like the, we, we read about Joseph being a carpenter, when today a carpenter means something entirely different for the 17th century, when houses were built only of beautiful connected beams of strong wood. So you needed to be a carpenter to be a builder. But the Greek says tecton. Joseph was a tecton. He was a master builder. He was a contractor, the, the mason, the woodworker, the planner, the, the architect, everything thrown into one. 
So I think that sometimes, because we are, we're afraid of changing concepts, we don't, as culture changes over hundreds of years, we are a little bit reluctant to change the text in the Bible because it's what people are used to. But actually, some of the terminology misleads us. And I like to try and, I like to be able to connect people back to the real, the reality of the first century situation, the way people lived together, the way people traveled, why people traveled where they traveled, because there's water. You can't travel for days if there's no spring on the way. You have to go from spring to spring. Just basic things that bring together the sort of life. And you imagine Jesus wandering through the hills with the, with the disciples and teaching them but he would have to constantly be coming to contact with more and more people. Where's he going to meet them? At the springs, on the roads, in the towns, in the villages. So he's maximizing his contact with people every time he travels and every time he moves from town to town. And I think that, especially in Galilee, you're going to feel for that because yeah. it's still open territory. Unfortunately, Jerusalem is a big built-up city of 1.3 million, and it's harder, harder to, to imagine it. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go back to Bethlehem here. So okay. Luke 2, 2, 7 says there's no room for them in the inn. Right. The word for inn is kataluma. It doesn't mean specifically hotel or inn. No. The word just means kind of like a lodging place, a place for resting. Yeah. So we were able to be blessed by your guiding us in into Capernaum, Capernaum yes. where we, we saw uh, some housing structures there, and yeah. you pointed out what a catalima look like. Can you describe yeah. that for our listeners here? Okay, so uh, a, a, the, the style of Judean house, which hadn't changed from the time of Joshua, was four rectangles fixed together. And these are distinctly separate uh, areas which would put the house pretty much in confirmation, in conformity with uh, Torah law. So the area where you work, the area where you cook, the area where you store things, and the area where you sleep are all separated. Those are the four sections. So on the ground level, you'd have the man's workplace, you'd have the woman's cooking area, you'd have your storage area under a roof, and on that roof, on that for one, with the, only, the only covered area would be the storage area, and then on top of that, like on stone stilts, would be an upper room, you'd go up a ladder there, and that is where you'd eat your meals with your family and where you'd sleep. You'd sleep, probably be a curtain up, the wife and husband on one side, the children huddled up on the other side, that's where you have your family time. And that is the truth about a Catalumen. Now, there's no room when Joseph gets to, the, to, to probably his family in Bethlehem because someone is living in the upper room. So there's no room there. You can't bring a woman who's about to give, about to give birth and then have her give birth next to a sister-in-law or a brother-in-law. It's not done. You've got in privacy. So where could they still accommodate them? In their storage room down below, where they're not going to disturb anyone, where the animals and the, and, and the wine jars and the, and, the, and, the, and the oil jars and everything else is down there. And that, that's what it really means. That's where you could put somebody up in your home because they can't come and sleep next to you and your wife and your children. Exactly. I, you know, I think about when Joseph, he has to go down to Bethlehem because that's where his family's from. He has to be yeah. counted in the census because that's his ancestral family of origin. So if he's going back to his hometown... He's not going to go try to, even if there was a Marriott or a Hyatt, he's not going to go stay at the hotel. He's going to stay with relatives. Of course. You know, so that, that's clearly what, what's going on here, I think. Now, let's talk about the ancient tradition, or, or the oldest tradition, of okay. where this is born. Today, the Church of the Nativity uh, marks and commemorates where Jesus was born. And there was this tradition that Jesus was born in a cave. How, how, does, how does that work in 
to all this. Totally, because in Judea, people would literally seek to build their house over an area where they would see in the rain that the rain was disappearing down a hole. They would then excavate that with their iron axes and find a cave, enlarge it, plaster it, allow rainwater to fill it. That would be their house system. That's what they would drink through the six or seven dry months without a drop of rain. Uh, from Literally from April to November, you rarely see anything other than a few spottings of rain. People had to have water unless you live next to a spring. But most towns from the Maccabean era on from the intertestamental period onwards are not next to springs. People have the power to use their iron tools and make cisterns and live anywhere they want. Like in Nazareth, for example. There is a one small spring in Nazareth, but it would never have been enough for the, for the, for the spread of the agriculture that we find the remains of in Nazareth. So people dug cisterns and they irrigated their terraces and their agriculture on the terraces from the cisterns. Uh, back in Bethlehem, on the hill of Bethlehem, being a limestone hill, it is riddled with caves. And people would, the first people to settle there, in, in the, let's say in the intertestamental period when the Jews returned from, to Zion from, uh, from Persia, under the Persian kings, they would go back and they would settle in Bethlehem Ephrata, and they would be looking for where there are caves and building their houses over the top. So it makes complete sense that Joseph's brother, his first cousin, his uncle, whoever it was, said, sorry, no room for you in any of the upper rooms, but you're welcome to stay down below in the family environment. Jesus is born into Joseph's family environment. We're almost certain of this, because that's what Jews did. This was the policy. You never went. When you traveled, you always sought your, your family. Look at Mary when she goes to, to, to Elizabeth's cousin. She hears she's, she's, she's with child, and she's, never, she's been barren all her life. This delight sends her rushing off to Judea, because family was very, very important, very strong ties. Well, you do such a good job, Adrian, of always bringing <laughs> us into these biblical accounts, understanding them historically, what we can learn from archaeology and the Old Testament Jewish scripture background, and you've certainly done that here for our listeners, even just to get a sense of what really happened at Christmas. It yeah. probably wasn't like they stopped at a hotel and... Went off to the, well. This is this is where the car park is. So you know, where the where the garage is, and that's where you know we're, we're going to give birth to where all the you know, your your traveling animals are. You know, it, it's probably not that that way. And the earliest tradition we know is that pilgrims were already coming and remembering uh, the cave in, in Bethlehem where Jesus was born. Uh, that's why when Helen comes here and and, the, and Constantine ends up building a basilica. Yeah. It's not built uh, over some hotel. It's built no. over <laughs> the, the, this cave, which is most likely where, where Jesus was born. So, well, again, thank you for being our, our guide on this pilgrimage here. And thank you for uh, giving our, our listeners a little taste of what they might experience uh, with a guide like you. And, um, you. and we'll, we'll be praying for you and, and your family. And uh, thank you all for listening here. We are again driving in the bus on pilgrimage with our group here from Galilee heading down to Judea. And I've been blessed to share with you uh, Adrian Weisberg, who's been our guide through the Holy Land here this week. And if you want to learn more about pilgrimages to the Holy Land or to Rome, uh, you can check out my website, edwards3.com. Please know that I always pray for all of the listeners uh, at the various holy sites here. So you've been in my prayers and my and you can always see pictures and learn more about the Holy Land as well by following me on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. I will have a, a picture up in the show notes of one of those houses that Adrian guided us through in Capernaum so you can get a little visual of what he was sharing with us here today. Thanks so much and God bless.